Hey, welcome to the Michelle Mission, Two Men, One Podcast. Every black film ever made, my name is Len, a.k.a. the Bat Tribble. And as always, I'm joined by my partner. Hey, this is Vincent Williams. Today, ladies and gentlemen, we are at episode 190. Oh. Yes, I think. Yes, one no. We're not at episode one ninety. We're at episode one ninety one. Oh, oh! The countdown has really the begun. Countdown has begun. On our way to two hundred, and we are in the beautiful month of February. That's right. Which means that it's Black History Month. It is. Which means here at the Michelle Mission, <laughs> we are getting along, little doggies. Right. Is we are reviewing black westerns. Black westerns. Yeah, how about that? And we are kicking it off with Vince's selection, Sidney Poitier, and everyone's favorite actor, Harry Belafonte. Harry Belafonte. And Ruby D. And Ruby D. In Buck and the Preacher. Buck and the Preacher. Buck and the Preacher. Okay, that's not really the theme song. To I think Bucket there is of... a version of it with lyrics. No, I know there's not. I think there is. I, I get. I don't believe you. I, that is an untruth. But that is what we are reviewing today on the Michaud Mission, ladies and gentlemen. But first, as always, we like to start off with all of your feedback, your thoughts, your concerns. Um, and we actually got a nice little post, Vince. Oh, okay. On Instagram. Hey, doing it for the gram. Doing it for the gram from Terry Jingles. Hey, Terry. Had to support one of the podcasts that I enjoy listening to, and that's The Me Show Mission. Named after Oscar Michaud. Don't know him. Look him up. These brothers are making it their vi- mission to review every black film ever made. I've added a number of films to my library due to these guys they're filling a much needed void in podcasting and it's appreciated and he purchased one of our new Michelle Mission t-shirts oh thank he you posted a picture Excellent. of it out yeah. there yeah so the classic pretty, joint yeah it's pretty dope so thank you Terry we always appreciate uh, each and every one of you out there who uh, shows your support to the show we absolutely appreciate it for real for real for real though for real, though. That's what I'm saying, though. All right. Uh, let's see. Last week, we reviewed Vince Three the Hard Way. <laughs> Three the Hard Way. <laughs> we heard from Markham Lee. Hey, what's up, Markham? Who, in true SoundCloud fashion, wrote his comments in time with the show. Oh, he carmoned. <laughs> that is exactly what he did. <laughs> he Carmona. Um, let's see. Let, let's go. At uh, 10 minutes and four seconds, he wrote, he writes, this sounds so terrible, I almost have to watch it. <laughs> He's referring to Fall from Grace. <sighs> but I don't want to support this and help pollute the world with sequels, sort of like how folks watch Sharknado to see how awful it was, and then they made five of that stuff. Don't you speak. Speak no ill will towards Sharknado Markham Lee. It's a tornado made out of sharks. And yet it was better than Tyler Perry's <laughs> A Fall from Grace. There were certainly more chainsaws. Did you see his argument uh, out there uh, in our Facebook group? Someone posted that. Um, let me see. I want to make sure I want to get this quote right from Tyler Perry. Um, it was posted to the uh, 
Atlanta News Now, yeah. Tyler Perry, I don't have time to wait on the right kind of wig on set. I don't have time to wait for the rest. That's right. That's right. Tyler Perry said that he and a Fall From Grace star, Crystal A. Fox, had a knockdown drag out argument over a wig featured in the Netflix film. Yeah. Yeah. Look, you keep costs low. You keep costs low. The 10 minutes it would have taken to find a better wig was thousands of dollars out of his pocket. Yeah. Y'all going to take these wigs and you're going to like them. Fox, who has worked with Perry on the own series that have and that have not, shared that she's always willing to ask for what she needs as an actress for her character, including a particular wig or hairstyle. As a woman of color, our hair is part of the journey so it is very very important and to some people it is hard to stress that it is that important tyler perry agreed about the importance of tresses but had said he's not willing to spend hefty amounts of time or money to sort through it as long as you figure it out before it's time to shoot i'm good i don't have the time to wait five hours and spend 10 million dollars to figure out which curl is right for you that was tyler perry what i got out of that that Crystal Fox, the actress, mm-hmm. the main actress, let me just say this about Crystal Fox. The only thing I really knew about her, I would see her in the commercials mm-hmm. for the have and the have nots. Like, you know how you fast forward the DVR yeah. And, yeah. and I would catch like the 20 seconds before Greenleaf or, 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 or you know, um, Queen Sugar came on. Right. And I think she's like the matriarch or the grandmother. Like, oh, you need to do Better than Jesus. You know, one of those one of those Tyler Perry characters. Right. So kind of matronly, mm-hmm. desexualized. Again, I've not seen one episode of the have and the have not. So perhaps her character is a it's bit more, more nuanced. nuanced than what I've gotten from the 10 seconds I've seen her on a commercial. But I do know Tyler Perry's stock characters. Right. There is a clip, and, and people were doing the clip. They were, you know, talking about, you know, all the continuity errors. About and there's a clip <laughs> from Grace. Of, of her coming, you know, she put on her, her slippers, and then when she came down and said she didn't have on her slippers. Mm-hmm. I'm going to just say this. She has on, like, like you know, a, 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 a nightgown. Okay. You know, just a night. It's like almost like by her calves. It's just a regular nightgown. Okay. She is wearing that nightgown. <laughs> okay. Crystal Fox, I see you. That's, 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 that woman, is, she is all right. I don't know what Tyler Perry is doing, got her in, in I again, I don't know. It looked like she, they, he has in grandmama clothes, but that's, that, that's a, that's a fine woman right there. So I just wanted to say that. And well, she is. So good looking woman. Markham Lee, back to, back, right, back, right, 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 back, back to SoundCloud. To, back to SoundCloud. Continues. Uh, at 18 minutes and 39 seconds, he said, get the funk out of my face with this Brothers Johnson slander. <laughs> when do we slander the Brothers Johnson? I think we said I think we may have implied that they there's not much to their um, discography. Did we? Or, or did you I, I, we brought much? them up. OK. All right. All right. I remember. OK. All right. Well, I apologize. If we slandered the Brothers Johnson. Yeah, the Brothers Johnson, they were, they're on point. In theory, I like them. Like, I don't know a lot about them, but I know they're Brothers Johnson people. That's why I was wondering. It, like, it doesn't seem like something I would have been, like, talking slick about the Brothers Johnson. Oh, you know, because we mentioned Strawberry Letter 22. Right, right. And then we were like, 
there was like maybe one other hit. Right. And then and then I said, and the funny thing is the the Brothers Johnson stuff I really like is really on Quincy Jones's album. Right. Right. That's what it is. But but I was really speaking of my ignorance of the Brothers Johnson, not the Brothers Johnson lack of material. It sounds like a bit of a a, a backpedal bench. It's not that's a fine. backpedal at all. You know, I stand on Mons. Two weeks I'm gonna be talking about Django. <laughs> you know, I stays ready to fight. 31 minutes and 28 seconds. Markham's last comment is, I'm so happy and relieved to discover y'all aren't grit heathens. (laughs) That's real talk. Sugar on grits is nothing but the devil. That's real talk. That's real talk. Like, I feel like that that is a reflection of your character. (laughs) If you sugar on your grits, I really do. You you take me out with this, this, man. I do. I, I think you're fed. (laughs) <laughs> like I think you might be a fed hello negroes would anyone like to engage in some illegal activity with me but first let's have some grits with sugar to build our strength and then you can tell me where the illegal activity is come now Timmy you know you want grits on your sugar exactly they're great then you can tell me where the drug dealers are <laughs> Point your twitchy finger over to the conductor. <laughs> exactly. I think this dude is a fed. <laughs> um, Lynn Marie. Hey, Lynn Marie. Vince, I know you've been praying for I this. I saw that. I saw what she's talking about. <laughs> Mel Gibson, Danny Glover, and Richard Donner, they're coming back That's for right. Lethal Weapon 5. Lethal Weapon 5. Here's a funny story. A bleep's coming. We went, we were somewhere. I don't even remember where we were. Okay. And you and, and the family. Me and the family. And and just by default, I always like to go in. Mm-hmm. Like I always like to go in and get the food. No, this is what it is. So my daughter and my wife are doing apps and they're ordering the stuff ahead. And then you go on pick their it, app. On their app. And right. then we go pick it up. And right. I'm against it. Oh, you're against ordering ahead? I'm against order. Like, I like to go in, talk to the person, order my food, and get it from them. And we were talking about it. <laughs> and at one point, I said, see, that ordering ahead, it's like going through the drive-thru. And I came this close to saying to my daughter, and they fuck you at the drive-thru. <laughs> Before I realized, because... Like, to me, that's the most important part of the entire Lethal Weapon saga. Joe Pesci taught me 20 years ago to leave the drive-thru alone because they fuck you to drive-thru. So, yes, I am looking forward to Lethal Weapon 5, and I'm hoping Joe Pesci returns as well. In a recent roundtable for The Hollywood Reporter, uh, producer Danny Lynn mentioned, we're trying to make the last... Lethal Weapon movie and Richard Donner is coming back. The original cast is coming back and it's just amazing. The story itself is very personal to him. Mel and Danny are ready to go so it's about the script. I'm hearing a disturbing lack of Joe Pesci. Well Vince, look. Danny Glover was recently seen in Jumanji The Next Level. Mel Gibson has been quietly making a comeback since his anti-Semitic comments um, of over 10 years ago. But director Richard Donner, 
who has not helmed a film since 2006, 16 Blocks, will turn 90 years old this year. Until this conversation, I thought Richard Donner was dead. <laughs> I wouldn't hold my breath for this, Vince. I'm just saying. Oh, you're saying you don't think it's going to happen. I don't think it's going to happen. Okay, then I won't get my hopes out. I'm sorry. But if it does and to happen, be honest, they better call Joe Pesci. Why? So you want to see three, you want to see four old men die on the screen? Do you really want to see, with all due respect, I know Danny Glover is like, a, is like a, an American of treasure, all the black, dumb, a black American of treasure. all the dumb 80s properties that they keep kind of adding to for whatever reason. Rebooting, right. I have a soft spot for Lethal Weapon. Like, I really do. I think, like, Lethal Weapon, like I mentioned last episode or a couple of episodes, I have no memory of the Die Hard films. Right, right. I remember every Lethal Weapon film. I love those dumb, they are the dumbest ADSC's movies of the 80s. Yeah, but Vince, look, let's be real. And they just kept stacking people. Like, like maybe Chris Rock will show up as, as his son-in-law. Like, he's still his son-in-law. Who knows? It's been 30 years. It's been 30 years. <laughs> the, the ship has sailed on Lethal Weapon. I know. No one wants to see these four old men We've spent on more screen. time talking about Lethal Weapon than probably anyone, and more than it ju is justified. Because I'm, try I'm trying to give you... But I'm going to tell you this. Y'all need to leave them food apps alone because they're nothing but newfangled drive throughs And you know what happens at the drive through Yes. You better order your food from a person and look them in the face. On News Round, they posted a story. Uh, did you know hear about this, Vince? On Doctor Who, there was the first black doctor. I saw that. Fans of the sci-fi show caught a glimpse of actress Joe Martin yeah. as the doctor during this most recent Sunday's episode. In a big twist, the latest episode saw the current doctor, played by Jodie Whittaker, come into contact with a woman called Ruth, but she wasn't just any woman. It turned out that Ruth was a never-seen-before regeneration of the good doctor. Yeah. What do you think about that? I mean, I think it's kind of cool. I mean, it's still, I mean, it's cool that they're, you know, they've got a, a woman doctor who's the lead and they're making references that she's not even the first woman right. doctor. Um, and that the first one was black, even though we didn't see it happen. Right. So, I mean, I'm not a Doctor Who guy. Sure. So I think it's, it's, for what it is, it's what it is. I, but you know, I'm know. happy for the sisters. Yeah, like like, like our, our 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 geek sistren, we're very happy about it. That's true, and I'm happy for them because, uh, like you, I'm not a big Doctor Who person. Like like I've meant like I've been meaning to catch up with Doctor Who, and I looked up and I hadn't watched it in five years. Mm. So in theory, I like Doctor Who. And and I know it's a big deal about who gets to play the doctor, but it is kind of abstract to me. But I am very happy for for the, for the geek sisters. I was telling, I was saying to my wife this morning when we were talking about it. I said between Sister Knight and the new doctor, black women are going to have a field day. Oh, they are at the cons. They certainly are. Like, this is a good moment. They're going to have a field day at the movie theaters too, uh, according to what's. 
um, the news coming out of the Sundance Film Festival where the 40-year-old version, the film that we had talked about yeah, by yeah. Uh, Rada Blanks, is um, pro- proven to be quite a crowd pleaser. Now, has it found a distributor? Let's see. I don't... I'm just scanning over the news story about how well-received the film um, by Rada Blanks, um, which talks about a, a woman basically starting over in her career at the age of 40 as a comedian. Um, and I'm looking at the story, and I don't see mention that it has... I don't see mention that it has... Uh, no. It's still seeking U.S. distribution as of this story, which was dated on the 25th. Yeah, because I, the story I read this morning, and, and we are taping on the 28th, was that buys have been slow across the board at Sundance. Yeah, I, I can imagine that. And there have been a fair number of, of these films that have, that have a little heat on them, mm-hmm. but they're not getting the distribution as of yet. Yeah, you know, because there is so many places, so many places now vying for content. Well, ex- exactly, exactly, and and I think we're on a new, we're we're at, we're in it, we're at a new moment. Mm-hmm. So, but but yeah, I'm really looking forward to this. There's another film that I don't see mention of whether or not it's received. Um, distribute distribution yet that's uh, making a quite a, a play at Sundance and that is Nine Days. Have you heard of this film? Refresh my memory. I feel like I've heard the title but I forget off the top of my head what it was about. Nine Days it's, it actually reads like a very powerful film. It's the feature f- debut uh, writer-director Edson Oda, who was um, born in Sao Paulo. The film centers on a reclusive man, played by Winston Duke, okay, who over nine days is tasked with interviewing souls who hope to be given a chance to be born. Wow. No, I haven't heard of that. Will, the, the, the character's name is Will, can only pick one soul to give a life to. Wow. The rest will cease to exist oh and goodness. will only have these nine days that will be all they ever know. Oh. Seems like that's a real inefficient m- method. Like, they should have a waiting room. Like, one person gets to live and then the rest of y'all go sit up there for a couple of years. Well, you're a soul. I mean, so it's either either you live or you're in heaven. Okay. okay. I mean, gotcha. so it's well, not. You said cease to exist. Well, well, does he cease to exist? Right. So I don't know. Right. I don't know. Um, this film uh, it, uh, was inspired. The filmmaker, who is actually of Japanese descent, but was born and raised in Sao pa- in Sao Paulo, was inspired by his uncle, who died by suicide. Oh no! This being a tragedy that Oda revisited while writing the script. I always knew him as someone who was super kind and talented and smart but now all of a sudden this figure becomes something else in a way almost a failure to the people who are connected to him i cannot even imagine how he felt about himself while oda crafted 
the character Will based on his uncle. He needed the right actor for such a demanding role. And thus he came across Winston Duke um, after seeing him in uh, Jordan Peele's Us. Sure, sure. Okay. Yeah, it, that, that it sounds like an incredible film. Yeah, and this film also stars uh, Tony Hale, Bill Skarsgård, and Zazie Beetz. Oh, nice, good cast. Yeah, man. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, so, looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to that. That's coming out of Sundance. I'm looking forward to that as well. Uh, and then in the world of Star Trek, we might as well show a little love because God knows when we're going to do it. Get to a Spock adjacent. Uh, um, just showing some love for the women. Hanel Culpepper, who is the first African American yes, woman she is. to direct an episode of the Star Trek series. Uh, she is directing episodes on Star Trek Picard. Yes, she is. Do so, your thing. Do your thing, That's girl. That's a beautiful thing. I am I am so happy for her. So am I. She said, at first I thought I wanted to be an actor because that's who you saw on the screen. But later my parents told me, you realize you were always writing plays and putting them, putting them on with your siblings and telling them what to do. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, hey, you're right. Should be a director. So she um, was a veteran television director, directed several feature films, but she also went on to direct the first, the actual, the pilot for um, Star Trek Picard. Excellent, good for her. I have not watched Picard yet. Neither have I. I'm going to be watching it this week, um, but I have heard good things. I mean, yeah, it's it's look. I'm not surprised. No, neither. I'm not surprised. Not surprised at all. All right. All right. So, um, we've, that's pretty much it here. We, uh, I want to thank everybody on there on the Facebook group, giving us all the, all the love. Aaron Joseph Krolakowski, who said he loved our podcast about coffee. Thank you. Um, and I also want to welcome new members to the Michaud, Michaud Mission Facebook group, uh, Thomas Lafayette. Hey, Thomas. Welcome to the mission. All right. I hope you're having a ball because we are. Always. All right. Get your six shooters ready. That's right. And your hand cannons. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. We went from one movie about guns. <laughs> this is a gun. This is a gun. It's Vince's selection. Buck and the Preacher. All right. We'll be right back with our movie review after we step to these messages. Buck 
and The Reacher, an American Western film released by Columbia Pictures, written by Ernest Canoy, and directed by Sidney Poitier. He also stars in the film alongside Harry Belafonte and Ruby Dee. This is the first film that Sidney Poitier directed. Vince Canby of the New York Times said, Poitier showed a talent for easy, unguarded, rambunctious humor missing from his more stately movies. And this movie will go on to break Hollywood Western traditions by casting black actors as central characters and portraying both tension and solidarity between African Americans and Native Americans in the late 19th century. This film, which also stars Cameron Mitchell, Denny Miller, Nita Talbot, John Kelly, Tony Brubaker, Bobby Johnson, Julie Robinson, and Lynn Hamilton. It's Vince's selection for this stop on the Michaud mission. Hey, Vince, what do you got to say about Buck and the Preacher? Do I have to talk like that? I feel like I missed a memo. You're not having a stroke, are you? That would be terrible. We're going to run this episode, though. (laughs) Okay. So here's the thing. About two weeks ago, I found myself in Cracker Barrel. Okay. <laughs> it's my daughter's birthday, fell on a weeknight. It was, it was a Friday, but still a weeknight. And then we were going to do some stuff that weekend. But it was Friday night. Said, hey, it's, today is actually your birthday. What do you want to eat? And, and my daughter, who we've spent 15 years <laughs> cultivating, cultivating, <laughs> molding, exposing to literature, Art, plays, film, well-traveled. We live in an actual foodie city. Yes, we. My beautiful young queen, we asked, what would you like to eat? And she said she wanted to go to Cracker Barrel (laughs) because she likes the pancakes because they had a little crunchy edges. Yes. So I found myself in Cracker Barrel. And Cracker Barrel is, is interesting to me. Because if you've never been to Cracker Barrel, they have the restaurant, but then they have the store. There's a store. Yes. It's, it's a general store. General type store. Yep. And it's this depiction of, of this specific type of American mythology, mm-hmm. the, this Eisenhower era white America of the past, that it, 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 it again, mythologized. mythologizes and and, and does all of this stuff with, I always say that if I ever find that I need a Tanya Tucker CD (laughs) or a DVD of the second season of F Troop, I would go to Cracker Barrel. So we're waiting to be seated and I'm, I'm looking around, just looking at stuff again because Cracker Barrel fascinates me. And on the bookshelf they have the official biography mm-hmm. of John Wayne. Okay. And the official John Wayne cookbook. <laughs> John Wayne cookbook? Both licensed by John Wayne's estate. Okay. So I'm sitting, you know, we're waiting and I'm flipping through them and, and it's exactly what you think it would be. Like like the, the John Wayne biography, it's it's 
chock full of pictures and it's all pictures of him on a ranch and riding horses and all of this stuff. And then when you open up the the cookbook, it's it's all recipes for, for pot roast and 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 chuck wagon chili and, and all of this stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's all bullshit. Like, if you know anything about John Wayne, it's all bullshit. Like, John Wayne's name was Marion Morrison. He was from Southern California. Okay. I don't know how old he was the first time he rode a horse, but he was nowhere near a cowboy. Okay. But he is this image of the American West because of the films he made primarily with, with John Ford. And when we think about the West and we think about... The, the, the mythology of the West, a lot of it is centered on a figure like John Wayne. Yes. Who, who, again, it's all a lie. Yes. And what I really admire about a film like Buck and the Preacher, and, and frankly, there were like a half dozen of these black Westerns in the 70s, mm-hmm. is that from the very beginning, it very consciously pushes back against this mythology and pushes back against the falsehood yeah. of what the American West was. We've, we've mentioned it before. One in five cowboys was black. Yep. So when we talk about the West, if you don't have anyone but white people, it's a lie. Right. 1972... Sidney Poitier and company are consciously pushing back against that. And when the film comes on, there's actually a text box that tells you about black homesteaders. And and at the end of slavery, there was this whole tradition of black homesteaders trying to go out west Mm -hmm. and claim their part of the American dream. And that's what this film is really about. Sidney Poitier plays Buck of the title. And he is an ex-soldier who has now turned into a scout. And his job is to escort black homesteaders out west to their homes. And the conflict is there is a group of of mercenaries who have been hired by plantations in Louisiana. Yes. To dissuade black people from going out west. No, not only dissuade them, to bring them back. And to bring them back, to bring them back, they 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 ravage, they pillage, mm-hmm. they rape, they destroy supplies. They leave, but they leave enough. What I what I found fascinating is they don't murder everyone. All right, they murder just enough to to send a message. Yes, because they want these people to come back to Louisiana, and 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 work on the plantation. Mm-hmm. And just from this part of the plot, I appreciate this film. Like mm-hmm. I appreciate. The, 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 the counter-programming, I appreciate the subversion of, of the Western iconography that's so much a part of our American tradition. Yes. You know, I mentioned John Ford and, and, and John Wayne, but, but frankly, this comes out in 1972. The Clint Eastwood Man With No Name films came out in America in 1967. Yes. So we're a half decade away from this resurgence. Of the Western. Of the Western in the American consciousness. Right. So I appreciate that. I appreciate the the talking about subversion of Westerns and, and the Western trope. 
I love the depiction of native peoples mm -hmm. and how they're depicted as intelligent, how they're depicted as having a culture, how they're depicted as having a perspective yeah. on what all is happening. So just on that level, I again, I really appreciate this film. As a film, I think the script, I think it's a really smart script. Yeah. I think, yeah. Uh, again, the, the positioning of these factors within this westward travel, whether we're talking about the black homesteaders, mm -hmm. whether we're talking about the native peoples, whether we're talking about these white mercenaries. Because what fascinated me about them is that, yes, they rape, yes, they murder, yes, they pillage, but they have a very distinct perspective where they say they are trying to protect their way of life. Right. We come from these plantations. We come from the South. We come from this environment. We need these black people. Right. So I appreciate how the, the script very smartly places all of these perspectives. There are moments in the script that make me laugh out loud. Yes. Um, <laughs> acting wise, there's there's a plethora of people in this film, but really the weight of the acting are on the shoulders of the lead characters, Buck and the Preacher. The Preacher played by Harry Belafonte. The Preacher played by Harry Belafonte. Sidney Poitier. I think Sidney Poitier is at that speed that we've talked about previously, specifically in, in a film like Brother John, mm -hmm. where he's going through this transition from clean cut, sharp suit Sidney Poitier to 70s Sidney Poitier. Yeah. And there's not a lot for him to do. I think the difference between a role like Buck in a role like Brother John is that Brother John's remove, that coolness mm -hmm. is part of his alienness. Right. Whereas you get the sense that Buck has seen things. Mm -hmm. He's an honorable man. He's a noble man. He's a man with ethics and morals, but on his own, he, you can, he's a little dull. Right. Like, like he's, he's the lead. He's the foil. Harry Belafonte, however, <laughs> apparently judging by Harry Belafonte's performance in this and Harry Belafonte's performance in Uptown Saturday Night mm -hmm. as Geechee Dan Buford yes the secret to unlocking Harry Belafonte is unchaining him from having to be the good looking guy yes exactly preacher has these teeth so distracting that his you know his teeth it's it's it's, it's the old west so his teeth are rotten yes. so Harry Belafonte has these teeth and they and they're they're black and gray almost yes <laughs> they are so distracting he has this shock of hair <laughs> coming out of his head and this scruffy beard mm-hmm but it completely liberates him mm -hmm. because Harry Belafonte is a hoot. He's having a ball. He is having a ball as this deliciously morally ambiguous mm -hmm. preacher yeah. who does not have a heart of gold. This is not a character with a heart of gold. No. But this is also not a character who's necessarily going to cut your throat. Right. Like, right, this is right. a very exciting character because you don't know 
which way he's going to go. No, no. When you couple him with Sidney Portier's buck, you got something. Yep. Because this is a great chemistry. And then, you know, you get the sense that Sidney Portier and Harry Belafonte traveled in the same circles at oh, this yeah. point for 20 years. Yeah, they're, so they're good friends. They're good friends. And that comes across mm-hmm. that there is this camaraderie. Mm-hmm. There is this sense of ease with them. If there is a third real voice in this, it would be Ruby D. And Ruby D is really kept off stage for more than half the film. That's true. She's in a scene early on where she doesn't speak. And then when she comes in, she she's basically his wife. But I have to Buck's say, wife. Buck's wife. But I have to say, she makes up for lost time. Yes, she, she does. Starts. She has a monologue about America that is electric, mm. where she's telling Buck again, her husband, more or less, more or less, that that they need to leave America. Yeah. She says over to, what did she, oh, because I wrote it down. She says, it's like a poison soaked in the blood. Yes, yeah, she said, she, she soaked said in the land. It. It's like a poison soaked in the land. Yep. Talking about the racism and the bigotry and how they just need to leave. And then when the film shifts, and I'll talk about the shift in a moment, she actually becomes part of the crew. Yep, yep. So that finally, I really like this movie a lot. Some quibbles, of course there can be some quibbles. I have to say, I don't, I, I think it was really a no-win situation with Ruby D. frankly. I think if you bring her in earlier, that dilutes the relationship between Sidney Buck Portier, and between Buck and the Preacher. But when you bring her in late and she's so powerful, you can't help but think, why did y'all wait until a half hour before the movie was through to bring her in? Mm-hmm. Structurally, there's there's this weird development where 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 the actor who plays the head of the mercenaries, who the entire film establishes as the big bad, as the big bad, Buck murders him, but then there's still forty five minutes of movie left. Yeah. Yeah, Cam- then, that's uh, Cameron Mitchell. Cameron Mitchell, who's great. Yeah. You know, talking about well, this. he's great in everything. Talking about this point of view of, mm-hmm. of someone who's just trying to get these people back to the South. The film shifts and then almost turns into a caper. Yeah. yeah. Which yeah. I liked. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, just the beats of it were just, it was like, eh, that's a weird beat. Yeah, because then it kind of made you lose sight of like okay who are the good guys because even on the the side of the whites there were some whites that while you weren't rooting for seemed like they were more on the side of angels right but but then the whole thing kind of gets diffused yeah almost because one of them murders another one and it all but the end there's a moment of of suspense with the native peoples where, where they say you know the native americans where they make this big deal about they're not going to help and anyone who's ever seen anyone knows that they're going to help at the mm-hmm. end. Mm-hmm. So it's just this artificial moment. But I have to say, I really, really enjoyed this film. I enjoyed it, too. And speaking about that that moment about the Native Americans talking about they're not going to fight. And they have, like, this moment with Sidney Poitier and, you know, Buck and the Preacher. And they're basically telling them that like 
yo, you know, but your enemies are our enemies. Right. And then, the, but without mi- missing a beat, the Indians tell him, yeah, well, you was just fighting with them. That's right. Just a couple of months ago. That's right. Just a couple of months ago, you were wearing the suit of your enemy. That's right. Coming after our people. That's right. You know what I mean? Now, I made you a deal. I'm going to give your people safe passage through here, but I'm not fighting your fight. Right. That you are basically bringing in. This is not this is not about us covering your people. This is about us saving your butt. No, I'm not going to do that. Now, yes, you do know that they're going to to come in at the end. Um, but that was a striking moment. It was, it, it, and I I enjoyed, yeah. I like you speaking about what I enjoyed about this movie, and I and I liked this movie. I loved it. I loved every freaking minute of this movie. Um, but what I really enjoyed most is that. And you spoke about the spaghetti westerns of Sergio Leone and Clint Eastwood and they how they kind of like deconstructed the DNA of the American Western in those spaghetti westerns. Yes. Right? Um, and they did. And they and, and they're great films. They're, they're, listen, oh, they, they're magnificent films, magnificent films. Um, but they are are. Also, films that sometimes, if you stare at them a little long, take themselves a little super serious. Sure, sure. What I liked about this film, Buck and the Preacher, was with all of its political and social commentary that is steeped, baked into the DNA of this movie, it doesn't lose sight that this is one, a Western and two, a fun movie. Right. It still is fun. Thus, which, because it's fun, when there are, you know, dramatic moments like the the homesteaders just trying to find, you know, they just, they, the homesteaders are literally just asleep. Yeah. Not bothering anyone. And when they get raided, it just makes it all that much more visceral. And you 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 feel it yeah. all the more, you know? Um, and only makes you root for your heroes that much more yeah. as well. Uh, you spoke about Ruby D and the powerful um, monologue she has. You know, in that same monologue, what I liked, you know, she was talking about how poisonous America is she was also talking about to you, Buck, as she's as she's feeding him and the preacher. I love you, Buck. You know, and I want to marry you, and I'm, I want to have your babies, and I want to I want to raise them and tell them about their father, and 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 make my little girl's hair, and make a make a clothes, and and everything, and feed you, and get you fat. I want to do that, but I'm not doing it here. That's right. I will not do it here. Yeah, it is, that is not happening. Um, and all the while, while she's saying it, you feel the the forcefulness of what she's saying you feel the tinge of anger in what she's saying but you never lose sight that she does indeed love buck yes 
And while, like you said, Buck is Sidney Poitier is kind of like got the the thankless role in here because he definitely is the straight man mm-hmm. in this movie. You do at least I felt that you could sense the weight of all of that on him because in him being honorable, he wants to take Ruby and leave. Yeah. But he made a promise to these homesteaders and he wants to, he wants to honor that promise, you know? Um, So I I thought that was real powerful. I, you know, I'm a Sidney Poitier fan. Sure. This is his first direct, movie and, it, and it's not even a movie that he was he was supposed to direct it actually was I believe was Joseph Sargent was That's right was the first director um and who actually shot a, a little bit of the film and Sidney said uh nah this is this ain't working well apparently he got into some type of creative differences with the cast yeah he, he was bumping up against whatever the cast. that means so Sidney assumed, a, a reading from Wikipedia, he assumed the role of director and it took him 45 days to shoot the film. And then he edited it while he was uh, shooting the organization, to film the organization. Um, and this was a film that was brought to him, brought to Sidney Poitier by Harry Belafonte. Yes. Harry Belafonte saw this and he, he wanted to do it. Harry Belafonte's uh, company produced it. Right. Or was one of the producers. Yeah. Right. And um, I have spent more th- more than enough time on this show <laughs> roasting Har- Harry Belafonte. However, I am here to tell you right now <laughs> that with this woman, all it takes is one. All it takes. All is you one. need is one, Vince. <laughs> you know, the world, the flesh, and the devil. I turned around on him. You like, did. Okay, you he's did. Right. You said, he's all right. right. He's all right. And and you and you like Geechee Dan Buford. Oh well, Geechee Dan. You're a fan of Geechee. I'm Dan a fan Buford. of Geechee Dan. Okay, but he, but I always always thought that's you know that was his, that was his one. That's his one. You know, so I gave him one, but that don't mean nothing. Right. But now the preacher, <laughs> Harry. All right, dog. I see what you're doing, dog. I see what you're doing. But it's not. But and I was digging it. I was digging everything. He was having fun. He was. He was. Um, he was uh, uh, talking smack to to the white guys. You know, to get them off his back and everything like that. And Harry Belafonte not afraid to walk around and show off. You. He was flexing his little. <laughs> I said, like, look at Harry. Harry looking like Yaya doing Bettine out this joint. Okay, Harry, I see you. See, you don't want me to drop my hat. Um, so, you know, so I was feeling him, but what really sold me on him is there's a moment, cause you talk about how he's morally ambiguous mm-hmm. in this film and he is rife with this, the, throughout the whole film and you feel it, you know it, but there's a moment in the film where he, him and Sidney Poitier and it's another film where Harry Belafonte is looking at Sidney Poitier clean what it, it is literally a cannon on his hip because his gun. I don't know. I know. He, he's And he's got two of them. He's got two he's of them. He's got two cannons. Yeah. That he knows how to shoot. Yes, he does. If you're to bet who knows how to shoot, Jim Brown or Sidney Poitier, you'd have thought maybe Jim Brown. 
Actually, I wouldn't because Jim Brown seems like he would use his hands. Yeah, I ain't got no time for no gun. Right. And, well, he looked like he used his hands. Yeah. Because he, he did not use a gun. But anyway, so, so Harry Belafonte, he talks to Sidney Poitier about his guns. And that whole conversation leads into Harry Belafonte unspoiling more or less his origin story. Right, because he's he's a preacher or he's a con man pretending to be a preacher. Right. And as part of his outfit, he has this really ornate Bible. Right. And Buck asks him, where does where did he get the Bible? Where did he get the and it's a special Bible because by then Buck knows that the Bible is actually when you open it, it's cut out. Right. And there's a gun yes. inside the Bible. And the preacher tells him this story because at this point you kind of guess that he's not really a preacher, but right. you don't know. Right. You don't know definitively. And he tells this story about him and his mother being owned by a preacher. Right. And tells the story about how he was kind of like just a little boy for the preacher and he watched the preacher get drunk and stuff like that and he'd put the preacher to bed and and how one day the preacher the preacher sent him off to go get something i think like to the store or something and when he came back the preacher had sold his mother right whom the preacher had been sleeping with the whole time right right he would he would preacher would periodically rape his mother right yes but now he sold his mother um, for some money for whiskey for three hundred dollars for for whiskey. Yes, and then you know at that moment the preacher more or less makes up his mind what he's going to do to. I mean, well, preacher, right, right. Harry Belafonte's character makes up his mind what he's going to do to this preacher, and then you he tells the story about what he's going to do. Yeah, and the whole time Harry Belafonte is delivering that. It's he's still having fun telling a story. Right. But the emotion is all on his face. Yeah. You know, he, he's wistful for his mother. He's he's hurt about what happened. He actually, I think, even in a in a weird sort of way, is is heartbroken about what happens to his mom, but also about what happened to between him and the preacher. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Because for lack of a better word, the preacher was like the father of that little triangle there. Yeah. You know, and what he is moved to do. Yeah. And that story is the birth of the character that he is throughout this film. And it's hearing that story informs all of his actions. Right in the film, it it retroactively informs everything you saw beforehand, and it informs everything afterwards. And Harry Belafonte gets it over masterfully. It's it's a great it's great acting. It's great great. You know, acting. as you say, Harry Belafonte is is having a ball mm -hmm. for the vast majority of the film. But then there's this moment that demands more than just cutting up. Right, and he rises to the he occasion. He rises to the occasion, man. And again. There are moments throughout this film that are like that. I, I think, I think again, these mercenaries are 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 born. I mean, they're terrible people. Mm -hmm. But when they talk about 
the fields lying fallow and, and we need them to work, they have like you like you understand that what makes them dangerous is not that they're being paid to do this. What makes them dangerous is that they're true believers. Yes. Yeah. The leader of the Native Americans, when there's a moment when Buck is pressing him to give more aid and, and specifically to give guns to right. them. And and the exchange that you're talking about where he talks about y'all were just buffalo soldiers. Right. But he has this wonderful monologue about their past. And the great thing about it is that the leader of of the, the tribe, for lack of a better word, doesn't speak English. Yeah. His wife translates. Right. I assume he's speaking an actual language. Like, I don't think they made up a made-up language for this. But you feel the power mm-hmm. and the sadness and the rage. Yep. And then as she translates it, it's it really is this really affecting moment. Mm-hmm. And then to the aforementioned Ruby D monologue, when she talks about her wanting to leave and everything, I have to say, I don't think it's a coincidence or I don't think you pull too much from it when you have Ruby D playing a character critiquing America and the American dream and saying what she really wants. And, you know, really what she really wants is what anyone should be able to get, yeah. like a family and a home and a yeah. her. But to hear her forcefully do this, sitting next to Sidney Poitier, when you think about these two actors together, mm-hmm. you think about A Raisin in the Sun, mm-hmm. where she plays Ruth, who has a similar right. monologue, where she talks about she wants to move from the apartment and get some fresh air and some sun. And there are just these powerful moments throughout a film that I completely agree with you. It never takes itself overly serious. Mm-hmm. There is a breeziness to it. But it also doesn't downplay the real issues that were that were in effect at this moment in right. American history. Right. No, it doesn't. Doesn't sugarcoat them at all. Right. Um and for it to be Sidney Portier's directorial debut. It is extremely well directed. I agree. I agree 100%. I think he takes some chances with some shots. Um, and I love I loved one of the most powerful moments, and I loved loved it, is him, Ruby D. And the preacher, Harry Belafonte, just speeding, riding on their horses. And it's a scene you've seen mm-hmm. in Westerns time and time again. You it's like it's almost you have to have it in the scene. Yeah. You know, you know, riding off our heroes, you know, running either from danger or into, you know, danger. And it was the three of them. They were doing it, and they were just getting their ride on. I was like, "Wow, that is just it, it, it choked me up." Actually, look, we, we've name checked him before. You, you talked about Sergio Leone and how he deconstructed him. If you make a western, you it really is a matter of how well do you use the visual language established by John Ford, right? 
and you have these wide sweeping vistas. Mm-hmm. You have the, the the shots of of people on horses riding, like you just mentioned. I think the staging of the gunfights mm-hmm. was amazing, but outside of that, I think Sidney Poitier really has great set pieces. Yeah, there's yeah, a moment yeah. where they come, where the where the the mercenaries come to Sidney Poitier's house. Mm-hmm. And 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 Sidney Portier knows that something is wrong, but he doesn't know what's wrong. And and his wife or his, his lady Ruby D is has to signal him without signaling him. And it is an amazing scene yeah. how it goes from mercenary to mercenary, how it shows Buck yep. set himself up. All of the scenes with the Native Americans. Oh yeah. Are are amazing. Mm-hmm. So that I, I I agree with you. I think this is this is a really well directed film. And and frankly, from our experience with Sidney Poitier as a director, I know you and I were talking offline about a film that you watched recently that I haven't seen. This may be the best directing directing I've seen from Sidney Poitier. It's pretty good. It's pretty damn good, man. Um I like this a lot. Buck and the Preacher. Buck and the Preacher. Thank I, thank you, Vince. No, look. I, I've always liked this film, but but as I've said several times before, when we watch a film for this, and I watch it differently, like I really was, I, I was really struck by how radical this film was. Yeah. And frankly, I think when, when you look at the history of the reviews of this film, Mm-hmm. And they were fair to Midland. Yeah, yeah. I honestly don't think America was ready for this. No, they film. weren't. They weren't. You got to remember, this is 1972, right? So you're still at the birth of black exploitation, right? And black exploitation would would very quickly, once it does start, be lost in tropes and iconography that you know were palatable. Yeah. For for white America yeah. for Hollywood, you know? I think it's for because for all of you know, those movies or not all of them certainly, but a lot of those movies, for all of their talk of, you know, sticking it to the man and all that type of stuff, they still come off as a little bit cartoonish. Exactly. This this is straight up in your face commentary. Absolutely. And it's not just coming from the black people is coming from the Native Americans as well. Yeah. They've got a story to tell as well. Um, it actually is even coming from some of the white people. There's some white people in here who are critical of these mercenaries as well. Absolutely. You know, uh, the sheriff at, at the time. He, the sheriff who eventually goes after Buck and the Preacher only after they commit a crime. Right. Other than that, he was fine. Yeah. You know, and he's basically telling the, these mercenaries, yo, we're not going to have that here. These people, they're just trying to find a place to live. Right. You know what right. I mean? And, and this is a direct examination of black people just trying to be American. You're right. And being prevented from being American and not for nothing, using a Western to do it. Again, this is 1972, just to bring it back home. John Wayne is a at the white house yeah john wayne is is heavily involved 
in the publicity around Vietnam. Mm-hmm. Like John mm-hmm. Wayne is an American icon in 1972 because of his role in Westerns. So that for you to use a Western to critique America and the American dream is a really radical thing. And I'll go so far as to say this. You're talking about white America. I don't think black America could really deal because at the end of the day, this is a really dark film because the film ends, of course, the homesteaders find a place in, in, you know, I think they're in Oklahoma. Yes. Yeah. Oklahoma. But in 1972, we are just far enough out of the civil rights movement where there's a lot of black America that is looking for hope. Yeah. Which, frankly, a lot of black exploitation represented. We're looking for something hopeful. We're looking for something escapist. Mm -hmm. And there's this real dark undercurrent to this film. Yeah. That regardless of what happens at the end of this film, this is not the beginning of a happy story. True, because despite how fun it is, and it is very fun, it's not like arousing right exactly exactly you know know, it's it's funny since watchmen we've been talking or or rather the 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 black wall street the tulsa massacre Mm -hmm. massacre has been in the consciousness of a lot of us that it wasn't before but there is there's this whole history of black people in the West. Yeah. Where we talk about the West and people would go West and find, go West, young man, mm-hmm. find your fortune. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it's just part of the American myth. You go, you, we, you and I are comic fans. It's the foundation of the Uncle Scrooge thing. Yep. That's true. You know, you go, you, you gold mine and you go West and you find your fortune. Make your fortune. Fall, make your fortune. But there's this whole history of how black people were systematically kept out of that. Yeah, they were sold a bill of goods. Sold a bill of goods or just prevented from participating. Well, no, I'm saying yeah. you sold the bill of goods because, like, yeah, we're going to give you 40 acres in the right, mule. Right, and, and in 1972, this film vocalizes that yep. and, and dramatizes that. Yep. It's, it's amazing. Yeah, it's really amazing. Really amazing film. Um, so would you recommend people see it? I would absolutely recommend people see Buck and the Preacher. Yeah, I think, like you said, it was a slept-on film. Yeah, for it, so many reasons. I think it's still a slept-on film. I think film. it's very, very much still a slept-on yeah. film. I don't. I mean, let's face it. You know, Harry Belafonte doesn't have a large filmography in general. Right. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and Sidney Poitier has so many other iconic films. Yeah. It's easy to see this film getting lost in the sauce. Yeah. You know? Um, but this is a movie that needs to be checked out. Well, I think this goes hand in hand with our our observation of Brother John. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's I think it falls right in the middle. Yeah. Of, as you just said, after all of these iconic roles that he had for a ten year run. Yeah. And then our beloved Sidney Portier Bill Cosby trilogy. Mm-hmm. And then these are like th- these these kind of curios mm-hmm. that you kind of pull out. Yeah. So uh, go see Buck and the Preacher. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Make it so. Before we tell you what we're going to be watching next week as we continue our trek west ho or westward ho or westward ho. 
Yeah, I like that. Uh, I invite you to <laughs> send all of your thoughts, concerns, and even your complaints. Email them to the Me Show Mission at gmail.com. That's Me Show, M I C H E A U X, mission at gmail.com. You can like and follow us on all the social medias at Me Show Mission on Instagram, Twitter, as well as on Facebook, where the Me Show Mission is where everybody meets up to have a great old time talking about movies. The Me Show Mission is broadcast in an edited form every Saturday at 1 p.m. on WPPM 106.5 FM, Philly Cam, People Powered Media, here in the city of brotherly love and sisterly affection. And we're broadcast every Monday morning at 9 a.m. on WKDU 91.7, the voice of Drexel University. And the Me Show Mission is a proud member of the Podglomerate Podcast Network Podglomerate Curated Podcast just for your listening pleasure. And if you like the Michelle Mission so much, hey, why don't you help us out and wear the Michelle Mission wherever you go. We've got new swag, new t-shirts available for you um, courtesy of T Public. Go to themichellemission.com hit swag. It'll take you right to our store. Check them out. We got all types of funky designs and pillows and 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 and, and, and magnets and stuff. You can have a whole good time. Please. <laughs> yes, yes, that's have right. Fun. All right, Vince. All right. Yeehaw. Yeehaw indeed. Next week, you know, we've been we've been uh trekking through the 70s pretty heavily. You know, I'm, I'm looking I'm looking like this was 72. Then we were at seventy four, seventy four, and then we did back to back seventy three. We had two seventy three. Yeah, well, we're gonna take a, we're gonna take a, we're gonna we're gonna jump ahead a little bit. Okay, and go to that magical year of two thousand and three. Two thousand and three. Two thousand and three, where writer director Jean Claude Lamer. Oh, La Dida gave us Marie Matico. Charity Hill, Lil Kim, <laughs> Lisa Ray, yes sir, Stacy Dash, yes yes sir, one Bobby Brown, yes, and your favorite Monica I was Calhoun. About to say I thought Monica Calhoun was in this. <laughs> We are going to ride with a gang of roses. Question. Who are the first two names that you said? Uh, Marie Matico and Charity Hill. I have no idea who they are and why they got billing over Little Kim and Monica Calhoun. Well, I read from the backup. Oh, okay. Okay. I was about to say. All right. Now, another question. Maybe I should ask this off mic. Are you sure this is available? You know, that's a good question. <laughs> Let's find out right now. Bruh. So we checked it. It is available. Gang of Roses is not as good as Buck and the Preacher. You don't say. Oh, I do say. Mm. I do indeed say. <laughs> okay. Okay. So what you're saying is that little half star I see underneath... <laughs> That's not misleading. <laughs> I'm telling you, Gang of Roses is a movie you watch at 11:30 on Sunday night, and you sit there. And you're like, I have to go to work tomorrow, but I can't really believe what I'm looking at. 
And if I turn it off, I'm never going to see it again. But it's Monica Calhoun. It is Monica Calhoun. We 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 should talk about Monica Calhoun. Well, we will next week on All the right. Me Show Mission, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Until then, he's Vince. I'm Len. And in parting, we say. We'll see you when it's time to meet again. It's time to bid adieu. It's been a pleasure knowing you. I'll see you when it's time to meet again. <laughs>